Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Teaching General Conference where we, in just a few short minutes, uh, 10, 20, 30 minutes, go through and give you some ideas of how you might approach a specific general conference talk as far as teaching it in the context of an elders quorum or Relief Society or maybe even at home. So today we are focusing on this talk right here, Put on Thy Strength, O Zion. Uh, by Elder David A. Bednar, which was given in October 2022. Great talk, a lot of discussion here to consider, and uh, let's jump in. First off, what we do, uh, as as I've discussed in other episodes, and again, I'm going to continue to assume that maybe this is your first episode, so we may cover some fundamentals or basics uh, jumping into this. I also encourage you to check out the short episodes, the teaching tips. I'm not sure how I'm going to label them or, um, or uh, display them in the feed. But uh, I go through specific like fundamentals or concepts that really apply to any general conference talk. So we first go through and we just do a read over and we're looking for specific doctrines, core doctrines, as basic and fundamental as we can get. Okay, so as we go through this and I mark them all in in yellow, you'll see this one. I actually have a green highlight. As you go through this, you may find quotes that you just want to highlight for your own personal study. Right. So I just pick green. So it just differentiated it from other quotes, and then I tagged this as uh, parables. So I thought this was a great passage about the parables, and maybe in the future, if I'm studying about parables, this quote will pop up. So don't hesitate to tag and, and make this part of your own personal study as well. All right, so I mark all the the yellow is the, yeah, I almost said red, the yellow are all the doctrinal statements. So let me see here, right here. Um, and let me, obviously I didn't put a lot here, and I'll explain why. The royal marriage feast, you know, Elder Bednar goes through and uses the royal marriage feast to set up his, you know, he's going to draw from this throughout us throughout this talk. And so he's obviously going to summarize the royal marriage feast in the beginning. Now, the thing with parables, if there's a parable in a talk, you almost have to go two levels deep when looking for doctrine. You can't just highlight the specific phrase in the feast or in the, in the parable, you have to then say, well, what doctrine is that alluding to or representing, right? And so I didn't put any in in the parable section, and I'll come back and explain why. Because basically, Elder Bednar unpacks the doctrine later on, right? So here's one. The invitation of the wedding feast and the choices partake in the feast are related but different. The invitation is to all men and women. So there's a doctrinal point, right? There is an invitation, and it's to all men and women from the beginning of time. There's always been an invitation from God. You see it all throughout the Old Testament, the New Testament, the Book of Mormon, the Doctrine of Covenants. We worship a God of invitations. Okay, uh, The invitation is to all men and women. An individual may be, even accept the invitation and sit down at the feast, yet not be chosen to partake because he or she does not have the appropriate wedding garments converting of converting faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and his divine grace. Okay, so again, we'll come back to this. And why I'm highlighting doctrine is I'm going to pick one specific doctrine. I'm not going to, if Elder Bednar covers six doctrines, really strong doctrines, and I'm not going to try and cover all six of them. I'm just going to focus in on the one doctrine because you only have 40, 50 minutes to get through this content and make it an engaging experience. Okay. So I'll just scroll through here. You can compare it to your notes as far as the yellow. I'm at the end there. So uh, those are the doctrine points that I found. You may go through and find your own, and that's just fine. Okay, let's talk about just the warm up, right? As I've said in other episodes, 
in order for you to succeed in teaching and making it a group experience to avoid the lecture, you've got to warm up the room and get them comfortable speaking up and raising their hands. And uh, like I've said before, the basic, most basic uh, way to do this is to ask a simple question. Maybe you say, what's your favorite outfit? Or if you could buy a shop for any type of clothing, what would it be, right? Because the parable of the marriage feast is about clothing. I mean, that's a big concept that's discussed there, right? So you may, you know, maybe the lady raises her hand, I just love shoes, Oh, and, right? And you're, you're getting them to, to talk. And maybe someone who doesn't talk a lot, you may point at them. Sister Jensen, hey, listen, what, I mean, when you go shopping, what type, what type of clothing do you love to shop for, right? And that was it might be a little different, right? But uh, maybe it's just their, their wife that gets them the clothes or whatever it is, right? But have fun with these basic questions. You're warming up the room, getting them comfortable hearing their voice in the room. Now, um, another thing it talks about in the parable of the marriage feast that, that the king gave them a part, a piece of clothing, a very basic piece of clothing to wear. And so this may be fun to warm it up as, as people are, uh, coming into the room before the lesson starts, maybe you give them a specific type of clothing to put on. Now, I realize you don't want to uh, empty your closet and bring it all, but maybe if you're if you're a man or you can go to the, your closet, your husband's closet and bring all your neckties. And as individual people come in, you put a necktie, you just drape a necktie like a scarf over their neck, right? As they uh, like a, a Hawaiian lay. And, uh, and you don't have to do it with everybody. Maybe you just bring 15 ties or 20 ties or 10 ties. And then as those people that do get it, you say, hey, I'm going to put this on you. Would you mind sitting in the center of the room at the designated chairs, right? And then you can sort of create this environment, almost like a stage where you're having a wedding feast. You've invited these people here and you're, you're, they're wearing a specific type of clothing. So it could be ties. It could be um, something you fold out of paper. It could be scarves. Like, and, but it, I think it says in here, and we'll go over Elder Bednar says that uh, it was uh, something from the, the king's own closet, right? that they brought. So that might be fun to, to bring some things out of your own closet. Another thing you could do in conjunction with that, or just separately is because it talks about in the, in the marriage feast that uh, there was one person who wore something that was inappropriate or did not wear the appropriate clothes. Right. So you could even invite maybe the fun person in the classroom to just wear a wig or a clown nose or a clown wig or, or something ridiculous, right? Maybe you find something from the seventies in your closet or whatnot, like wearing something that everybody's maybe looking at them. Like, why are they wearing that? Um, or maybe you invite one person beforehand say, Hey, would you mind bringing a, a change of clothes of just street clothes? And before elders corner release society, just sneak in the bathroom, change in the street clothes and come and sit in the class and, and invite them to not say anything. Or if people ask, just sort of, you know, dismiss it. And then during the class, you can point out that, do you notice anything different about what people are wearing? Right? So you're creating this environment that reflects their mind back on the lesson or on the contents of the talk. And you are, um, and that's going to solidify it in their memory. It's going to help them recall it much easier. So even in 10 weeks from now, a year from now, they'll always remember the lesson where they got a necktie put around their, their neck or brother Christopher was, uh, in a clown thing or in street clothes, right? They're going to remember this. And then that anchors their mentality back to the principles and the doctrines that they learned in the class. All right. Another uh, warm activity to do, or just to make it more engaging is she can put on a little bit of a play or narration of the marriage feast. Now this is very basic. You don't have to go crazy or bring props or background or uh, put them on a stage or anything like that. Uh, but for example, you can either go through the, uh, the actual talk. Let me pull it up here. So you may gather some uh, handful of, of people in the room to sort of act as characters. And they don't have to, this takes no pre, pre, 
preparation um, before the class. You can just do it in, in, in live time, and, and that makes it even more fun. So, for example, go to the section of the marriage feast, and you can either have play the clip, actual clip of Elder Bednar's voice doing that. That may be a little bit technically complicated. And so you can just pick someone to be a narrator, right? And so they're just going to read from the talk. And Jesus spake unto them again by parable and said, the kingdom of heaven is likened to a certain king, which made which made a marriage for his son. So, all right, who's going to be the king? All right, Brother Jones, get up here. Uh, Brother Christians, get up here. Like, uh, you're the you're going to be the, the son and you're the king, okay? And sent forth his servants to call them that were bidden to the wedding and, and that and they would not come. It's okay. So now tell this class, all right, this is the, this is your kingdom. These are your servants. Tell them to come to the wedding. And they're like, come to my wedding. <laughs> and everybody laughs. Right. And, and everybody says no. Right. And everybody says no. Right. And again, he sent forth the other servant telling them, which are, which are bidden. behold, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen and my fatlings are killed and all things are ready coming to the marriage. But they made light of it and went their way. One to the farm, another to his merchandise, right? So, all right, all right, class, everybody make light of it. Maybe they laugh and just sort of dismiss it. Oh, that's ridiculous, right? So you see, you go through this, and then as other characters come to the surface or come into the story or are highlighted, you pick certain people to do that. And the, the principle here of doing this is that you want to – it's so easy to, to uh, burn so much time on just the parable, Right. You could read through this parable and and really you want to summarize it in in five minutes, maybe 10 minutes. But you don't want to give up that much time because you're just telling a story and everybody sort of knows the story has heard it and they get it. But you're trying to engage their hearts and minds. And so if you feel like this sort of putting on this play or interacting or uh, narrating is going to take too much time, maybe you just you don't do that. Maybe you find and I was on YouTube earlier. There's a variety of different like summaries of the the marriage feast parable, or even some cartoons that some are well produced, but most of them aren't. But nonetheless, again, this goes back to the media mix up, right? You want to bring in some. You don't want to just talk or have a discussion. Suddenly, you want a video that they're looking at, and that's going to re-engage their brain into the lesson as they go from listening to somebody talk in the room to, oh, now we're watching a video and the lights are down and right. So you may want to show that and, and allow the video to summarize it. But the point being is that you just don't want the, the explanation of the parable to take a ton of time of your precious teaching time. Another quick, uh, and this is sort of a universal warm uh, activity you can do to get people warmed up, ready to participate in the class is throughout the week, identify two or three individuals who are going to be in the class call them or text them. And you may say, Hey, I'd like you to summarize the, uh, the parable of the marriage feast in, in three minutes. Can you read over that, get familiar with it and do it. Right. And then they're, they come to class ready to do it. And, and they're warmed up, right? They're warmed up to participate and people see them participate. They may be more likely to participate that way. So that's another tactic is uh, calling or texting and preparing them beforehand to participate in the class. All right. So in this talk, there is just so much, I mean, as you expect, from any apostle, there's going to be a lot of doctrine, right? Like I mentioned, you just take one, focus on it and go from there. There is another concept to consider is it's really easy. And this goes back to my principle. If you go listen to the uh, teaching tip or the short about teaching core doctrine, this is the trap. This is a good example of a trap you can fall into. Okay. For example, you've read the talk, you've listened to it and you think, boy, I really feel like personally, Elder Bednar is 
focused on teaching us that we should really wear the temple garment if we're in doubt, right? Like, obviously, that's what, what the lesson is about. And so then you start teaching the lesson and you start bringing up this theme, like, obviously, you know, Elder Bednar is encouraging us to wear the temple garment. And, you know, that's sort of been uh, a lot of people are getting lax on wearing the temple garment, right? You see how maybe there's a personal agenda or a personal perspective that you're inserting there. Now, I want to argue against that. He very well likely could have started writing his talk and said, I'm going to write a talk. It's going to encourage people to wear the temple garment more respectfully or whatever it is. That may be the case. However, what happens is then the lesson becomes about a behavior, right? And if you're teaching core doctrine, you're rarely talking about a behavior, right? You're generally talking about a principle or a concept that is doctrinal. So you can think like at the end of class, well, we talked, we really had a great lesson about why you should wear the garment, the importance of it, and therefore we taught doctrine. However, that's not necessarily um, that, that's not necessarily a core doctrine because garments uh, like we wear today, temple garments, has not necessarily been something that uh, people have done from be- the beginning of time. There's been several opportunity or several instances throughout Scripture and whatnot where people did wear garments or some form of of clothing that represented that. But see how we get away from the core doctrine. To change it into a core doctrine is what? Why does Jesus Christ give us the uh, temple garment to wear when you're in doubt? Well, because we've made it's a sign of us making covenants with Him. Okay, the covenant. Now that's a core doctrine that we can go to and we can jump into. Now you can teach a lesson, uh, or you could go in a direction of just talking about let's talk about garments, for instance. But you're not focused on the behavior of wearing the garments because that's going to take some people out. Or maybe you have somebody struggling in the class who just feels like you're they're taught, being talked down to because maybe they personally are struggling with wearing the temple garment. Okay, So instead of making it about the behavior of wearing your temple garment, you may make it about the doctrine, which is a secondary doctrine of having a temple garment, which is connected to a core doctrine of covenants. And so you can make the lesson about why covenants bless us through the redemptive power of Jesus Christ by wearing a temple garment. And and then it, then it's safe in there. You see how there's maybe a little bit of a gray area or um, it's sort of uh, it's tough to navigate at times. But that's an example of where it feels like we may be teaching doctrine by telling people to do a behavior when we're not teaching doctrine. We're just teaching a, uh, an application of how we how we personally or others apply that doctrine. Okay, now, if I was teaching this lesson, there is this concept talked about in these paragraphs. Many are called and few are chosen. So me personally, I really like this this doctrine, this concept. And so I would maybe spend some time here of saying, what does it mean that few are called, but or many are called, but few are chosen? And so maybe you take half the room, right? All right, you guys are going to focus on the concept of what does it mean to be called, and this other half room is what does it mean to be chosen, right? And this goes back to Dr. Covenants 121 as well, right? Many are called, but few are chosen. And how then connected to how Joseph Smith translates this, um, Elder Bednar says right here, interestingly, Joseph Smith made the following adjustment to this verse from Matthew in his inspired translation of the Bible. For many are called, but few are chosen. Wherefore, all do not have the wedding garment. Okay, so man, right there, there's so much discussion opportunity what does it mean? What do you mean wedding garment? Why did Joseph Smith insert the importance of the wedding garment into this, into that verse? Okay. And so you may, whether you, you split the room in half, depending on the numbers, you may invite everybody to pair up, but some of the pairs are focusing on uh, being called. Others are being, are focused on being chosen. And how is it that we can go about being, being called or chosen? Does that mean we sit around and wait for the calling, right? These are some of the, the questions that I'll put in the the backup question section at the bottom of the show notes. 
Another way you can uh, implement this, the focus on this concept is invite people to go search through other scriptures, right? Uh, let's go to the topical guide. Uh, some of you look up uh, chosen, some of you look up called, and let's see how these words appear in other parts of the scriptures, right? What does this typically look like? What, what, is, what is the nature of the people being called and chosen, right? And from there, it gives you more discussion to, to explore and, and for people to contribute what, how they're seeing this doctrine of being called and chosen and what it means to them specifically. Now, as I always mention, look for the witnesses. And what I mean by that is those that maybe share something and kind of see that they're getting a little choked up. Or you can see that, wow, they're telling a story that's really impactful for them. What you want to do is create space for those people to continue talking and continue witnessing, continue testifying, right? You say, Jim, wow, I can tell that that story really impacted you. Tell me more about that, right? And then it's sort of you give them permission to sort of spill over, right? Like, oh, thank you. Like, I just feel this like surge of the spirit in me right now that I want to share more. And um, they, then you give them permission to do that. And that's when the witnesses happen, right? Where somebody testifies and then that's where everybody is drawn in. And then people start, wow, I, I want to testify a time when I was called. And I, I, for all my life, I didn't feel like I was chosen. And then in this one moment where like God just came to me and I just felt like he chose me, right? Like there's a larger story for me in this world, right? The more you can do that to stimulate the witnesses, the better. Here's a really unique uh, concept that, man, there's, I think there'd be so much discussion to come from this because in our day and age, at least in uh, Western <laughs> culture in the in, uh, United States, there's sort of this constant debate about equality and what does equality look like and mean, uh, mean to uh, certain cultures. And this uh, phrase here, or this paragraph, I believe that, that the implications of these verses is quite straightforward. God does not have a list of favorites to which we must hope our names will someday be added. He does not limit the, cho the chosen to a restricted few. Instead, our hearts, our desires, our honoring of sacred gospel covenants and ordinances, our obedience to commandments, and most importantly, the Savior's redeeming grace and mercy determine whether we are counted as one of God's chosen. So this concept of being God's chosen people is so fascinating, right? Because does God love more? some children more than others? No. But what changes is that individuals can have access to more of God's love, right? The more they choose to step into a covenant relationship, right? He offers that covenant relationship to everybody. He's not limiting it to a specific group of people. He's saying, I want all to come unto me. I want all to come unto my son, Jesus Christ. Come, please, I beg you, right? Now some reject it or some don't see a need for it. And so therefore they reject the love of God that is being poured out and that is being offered to them, right? So the chosen people are often chosen people because they chose to be chosen, right? I think he even uses that uh, verbiage in, in the in the talk. And to me, that's such a fascinating concept that so many perspectives and, and discussion go around because we're not trying to be like we're chosen people. We're better than everybody else, but we're saying we found a way to access a deeper relationship with God. How can we invite others to do that? How can we invite all to come under Christ and participate in that love? We're not better. We want to offer you the same thing, you know? So fascinating doctrine and concepts in this talk. All right, that's a pretty good summary of this, this talk by Elder Bednar, Put On Thy Strength, O Zion. Phenomenal talk. Uh, I mean, I Elder Bednar is one of my favorites. I often joke and say he's my Elder Holland. I know lots of people enjoy Elder Holland's talk, as uh, Elder Holland's talks, as do I. But uh, when Elder Bednar gets up, I, I get excited. I, I really appreciate his perspective, how he uh, guides us deeper into scriptural 
uh, blocks of, of content and whatnot. So really good. The other best practice as you wrap up a lesson or wrap up your, your preparing uh, lesson plan, you may just ask yourself, do I have enough media mix-ins, media mix-up as, as I call it? So do, is there a clip I can show? Is there um, some audio I could play? You know, because as you go through this, you just want to mix it up because then that re-engages the audience to lean in more as they're like, oh, he's showing a clip or, oh, this is different. I'm going to pay more attention to the song that he's about to play, right? Or, wow, we're singing a hymn now. That's interesting, All right? So uh, one thing you can do that's really easy with general conference talks is you play, uh, you clip out the, or play the final clip of the apostle or the speaker's uh, testimony, how they ended it, right? So maybe you end with your own testimony and you say, I just want to, I want to end with Elder Bednar's testimony, but I personally testify, yada, yada, yada. And you say, in the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Hit play. And then Elder Bednar goes through and he says, in the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Lesson over. Uh, ring the bell. Let's do this. So anyways, great talk. Phenomenal. This will be a great one to teach in a classroom setting. So much doctrine to explore and, and uh, play off of and, and learn from. So good luck in your efforts of teaching general conference. Mm-hmm.